Welcome to What If But Good, a podcast about writing badly until you can write well. I'm your host, Peter Lundquist. I'm your host that laughs too loud, Evan Pugh. And I'm your taller host, Silas Robinson. Each season, the three of us go through the daunting task of attempting to write feature-length screenplays from scratch in just 16 weeks. Will we succeed? Will we fail? Will we give up writing and start selling Etsy recipes? That's not a thing. That's not what they do on Etsy. There is only one way to find out. Listen in each week as we battle our writing demons, each other, and the sound of a buzzing refrigerator on... What, what if, if but, but good? good. Our rushed, unfinished pages each week. Check us out at whatifbutgood.com and on all socials as What If But Good. It is week six, baby! Week six! Week six, week five and a half, week six. Two days after week five. (laughs) If you guys would just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Time is an illusion. (laughs) Hi guys, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. We wrote more pages. Yeah, Yeah. we all did. Yeah. In some cases, a lot more. Yeah. And threw some of them away and wrote even more. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do that, but uh, you guys seem to have jumped in on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. On that topic, I would love, I mean, I would, listen, I would just love to talk about our pages. And I think we should. But before we get into that, I, I think we, I think we should talk about, we should, we should get into some, some deep thoughts. (laughs) Get into some deep thoughts about editing. And when it's appropriate and when it isn't appropriate and how you guys are dealing with all that. So I guess to start, does anyone have like a pithy guiding principle of editing that, like something that you use as, as like an internal rule or something like that. Evan is nodding. Yeah. I mean, really the only one that, that, I, that I follow is kind of like don't don't screw with it until it's done. It's, it's that whole idea of when you're building a fence, don't put up one post and paint it and then move on. You put up all the posts, you, you, move, you paint them all, and you, know, you, go, you go back over it, but you don't do it all one at a time because it takes more time. Yeah, I've certainly tried the putting up one post and painting it at a time method, and... It doesn't work. It does not result in feature-length screenplays, yeah, in my yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's still the rule I live by, because it's the rule I live probably break the most, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have to keep that in the back of my head, that it's like, you know, your, your goal right now, like, right, right now, right now, especially with this, is to just simply get it out and not panic so much. Right. You know? Totally. Because... You don't know what you, really what you're setting up and paying off until it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, I Which was, is why it's so interesting you started with the second act. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the reason I start with the second act is because I, I just have found that I, I, I do a lot of discovering in the writing. Like, I, uh-huh. I usually have a pretty clear idea of where... I usually have a very, very specific idea of where the story is going and what the characters are going through and what needs to be accomplished. But like when it comes to actually what the beats are of each scene and sort of that is usually something I'm discovering on the go. And I just never know what I'm going to need to set up in Act 1, especially with sci-fi. There's always something, like, every time I send you guys pages, there's, like, a little list of, like, by the way, so this week, <laughs> here's a list of things that will now need to go in Act 1. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm literally just keeping a list of, like, things that I will need to set up in Act 1. And But, yeah, yeah, it's, like... For me, that comes in the outlining more than anything, because, like, 
there, there's we talked about last week. Like I've missed an important scene that I didn't put in the outline or in the script. Yeah, but I I find that there's this thing about I think stand up comedy that's it's like it's like putting together a parachute while you're falling out of a plane. Right. Uh, you just kind of have no choice but to you, the ground is coming towards you, and you gotta put together as as much as you can as well as you can so that you don't splat into it you know mm-hmm. uh, I think that's true of most creative art forms that are longer than tweet length yeah. you know but for for me like I try to have as good of a parachute as possible and then when I jump out of the plane and start writing it's like okay now I'm discovering different problems right you're going down that you're going down that not a terminal velocity but and a yeah. nice leisurely pace that's like moderately enjoyable and people do for fun yeah. yeah, and if if I come against something that I think uh, I realize that the parachute will not open, you know, yeah. then I'm like, okay, I uh, I got to teleport back into the plane and start outlining again because right. I I won't discover it in the writing. Like I I, right. I don't set that expectation for myself, and obviously that's not how parachutes work right. <laughs> or teleportation. But well, it is how metaphors work, though, which is often <laughs> not great. Yeah. Um, it's a little yeah. mixed when it comes to metaphors, uh, yeah. right? Well, it is. The, uh, so, I, I'm sort of, that kind of sounds like my experience, which is that, I mean, honestly, for me, like, I, the way I normally write is outlined for, like, months and months and months, which we didn't do on this one, and I think it's it's really good practice for me to not do that. I just know that my first idea is never going to be the best one. So what is really, really important for me in the outlining process is to figure out very, very definitively what the point of the movie is and what yeah. I'm trying to accomplish. Because like, so this week you guys read some pages that I wrote, which are the same scenes as the pages that you read last time. They are extremely different. Yeah. I mean, literally every single word is different. Yeah, right? so fill, fill us in on what you did. You know, last time... So, okay, so so the, the way that I, I kind of have Act 2 set up at the beginning is there's this sort of fun part at the beginning, fun and games, you could even say, <laughs> where they're experiencing the, the joy of creating in this sci-fi space, and then... Stuff starts to go wrong. The, the 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 Xavier character sort of vanishes. They realize they can't wake up, and then we kind of move into these vignettes where it's like a, a little vignette for each character. And for Yvonne's character, it was this section I wrote, which you guys never got to read, which was they're in a cave, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of keeps going. Each character gets a little a little vignette. You guys gave me some really good notes last time, which was that uh, it should feel more like a superhero testing their powers, and. I got some really good notes from my wife who had who read the cave section, which was that it, it it felt very stale. And it felt stale to me when I was writing it. I just I just I knew I needed to go back and make it better. Yeah. Basically kept those same two sections. I mean, structurally what they're doing in the screenplay is almost identical to what this version is doing. Yeah. But you upgraded. I, I upgraded for sure. I decided to I was worried about page count when I was writing before, and I decided to just absolutely not worry about it and make it as long as it feels like it needs to be. I felt like Yvonne as a character really wasn't working the way I wanted him to, and and I felt like I wrote him to be the Donatello, like the sort of intellectual (laughs) character, and I was writing him like Raphael. I was writing him very antagonistic (laughs) and aggressive and sort of mean-spirited. So, and I, when I was kind of figuring out, okay, like, how, like, what would it look like if he was genuinely more Donatello-like and blah, 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 blah. 
I, I sort of realized it might be interesting if he was more specifically an antagonist. Hmm. Like if he, yeah, that's kind of what, that's what you did, right? And the and and of course, like you know, I had this whole idea of he's the most he gets along the worst with Flora at the beginning, so that it means more at the end when they kind of. Reconnect. reconnect and actually sort of go on this adventure together and, and kind of have this amazing experience. And I'm like, oh, that's even more interesting if he's like like Newman in Jurassic Park, like this yeah. very, very definitive, he came in here with ulterior moment, motives, he fucked this up for everybody. I like how you said the name of a character from a different piece of media. Right. But, but, <laughs> but we, we all knew who you meant. If I'd said the actor's real name, it would have scanned less for... Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. See, yeah. less people would have got Wayne Knight than Newman. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, and then I mean, the, the other kind of big structural change was uh, I realized that having Xavier disappear and having Yvonne also kind of disappear just felt very redundant, and I didn't feel like I had a way to make those two things feel distinct from each other. So instead of my original idea, which is that it's just like, oh my God, Xavier is gone. What's happened? Instead, thought it would be interesting if he disappeared in a more big, obvious, sort of mysterious, visible way versus something very concrete and specific happens to Yvonne. He gets dragged away by a giant spider monster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very, very spooky. As soon as a, there, there's a bit in, uh, in Silas's script here where it, there's like a giant wolf spider monster and there's like a baby faced monkey and there's all kinds of weird shit flying around. And I'm like, Oh, is this scary now? <laughs> I didn't know it was going to get scary. No. Well, I knew it was going to get scary. It's right. just that it, it got way scarier way faster than I anticipated. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. That's, you know, that's probably what you want, actually. Well, the the thing which I, I realized, and this was the note that my wife gave me, was... So it, in Yvonne's whole section that I wrote originally, there's sort of this whole thing of, like, his fears kind of, kind of encroaching. And the way I wrote it originally, it was just the sound of barking dogs kind of getting closer and closer. And the only reason... The reason I put that in is, is when I was writing his backstory, I kind of had this memory that I wrote for him where he like had this dog growing up that was like a neighbor's dog that he was really scared of. And it was just something I made up, absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. It's just the first thing that popped into my head. And she was like, we never even see the dogs. Like it, she was like, this reads on the page like you were trying to save money. <laughs> what are you, Hitchcock? What are you, Shyamalan? Show us the dogs. Show us the dogs. <laughs> um, and, I, and I was like, I'm fucking doing it. I'm doing the thing that everyone complains about, about every movie that's set in a dream setting where, like, you don't actually get to see that much cool, crazy stuff. Like, go big. Like, have everyone's fear manifest in this sort of physical, real way. Like, make it fucking huge and crazy. Um, yeah, you, yeah. I like what you did. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I really like it. Um, I like it way more than what I wrote before. Yeah. It's it's a little... It's, it's got a vibrancy to it. I also... The... Last time we had talked a little bit about just sort of with the characters fitting into roles that I, I have this weird thing where like when I first start trying to figure out characters, I'll write all this backstory and I'll figure out what Ninja Turtle they are and, and what their worst fear is. And I do like all this different character work and then I'll, and this happens, this happened to me before and I'm sure it'll happen to me again. I write the first draft and they all feel very stale and the voices kind of sound the same. Mm -hmm. And then I do another pass where I make them a very, very one-dimensional stereotype with exactly one defining characteristic. Like, yeah. this one's the greedy one. <laughs> and I find that without fail, when I'm writing them to be more one-dimensional, they always feel more 
fleshed out. Um, or maybe they don't. Maybe to other people they feel very one-dimensional, but at least it's more fun for me to write. I feel like it's always... Um, I, I face the same kind of challenges, especially when I go back and look at a script that I finished like a year ago, and I'm like, oh, they all sound like me. <laughs> oh, God. But I, I kind of challenge myself, especially in editing and redrafting, which is kind of the thrust of what we're talking about here, to... Um, Make it so that, like, you can cover the names and just see who it is. Like, oh, this is the one who always talks like this. Right. And even if it comes across as one-dimensional in that draft, I'd rather, you know, err farther on that side. You'd rather just air it out, let's say. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, just get that shit out. If, yeah. if you write a character who has a very, very strong, specific flavor, like, an actor can always do an interesting performance. Yeah. Like... But I feel like it's all like like I would I feel like it's always a hundred percent of the time going to be better to have a really goofy one dimensional one feature character who is very distinct yeah. than a boring character in yeah. any form, with the exception of your main one or two characters. Yeah, because those characters need to have depth because we see them change. Mm-hmm. But unless they arc specifically. And a big part of the story is them arcing. Like, I'm just like, just make it dumb. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to have in, in in my scripts, not just this one, but other ones I've written in the past. I try to have little bit characters and give them specific names mm-hmm. so that I can come back to them later and be like, let's just see them be the opposite right. at the end of the script. Just because of the protagonist's actions, see how much they change just yeah. as a result. I mean, it, it literally is like one less actor to hire and then... Also, just a cool arc that yeah. is now in the movie. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just you just made the movie that much better by having one character behave in two seemingly contradictory ways. And I, th- I think of uh, Stephen Tobolowsky in uh, Groundhog Day, uh-huh. the character who's the insurance salesman. He, the, it, they show him arc in the movie, even though he's living the same day and doesn't know it. Yeah. It's just by the virtue of how Bill Murray's character treats him, we see like. The guy who, when we first meet him, is like, oh, God, this annoying life insurance salesman who's, like, always shouts the same catch... It would be shouting the same catchphrases even if he wasn't reliving this day, you know? And then by the end, it's like Bill Murray has done these good things for him, so he reaches out and acts in a different way. Right. And he's, like, the one of the smallest characters in the movie, but everyone remembers that character. I, I, I can't remember the name of the character, but I remember it's Stephen Tobolowsky. Uh, uh, no, Ned Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson, yeah. That's that's the character. Yeah. Wait, what movie uh, is this? Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. There's a, there's a really good uh, fan theory that that character is Satan. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah. He, says, like, he always says, like, I sure as heck fire remember you. He's an insurance guy, and uh, the movie ends when he's, like, he's the last person that... Bill Murray is nice too, and that's yeah. when the cycle gets rolling. <laughs> that's when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to answer your, your earlier question about a glib rule for editing, I am someone who will instinctively go back and want to rework the old stuff that I do. So my rule is not to do that, to, to wait until the end and then. So I wait until I can step back and see if it actually is a problem or not. That being said, obviously this week I broke that rule and. Mm. The reason I broke that rule is because I felt like the changes I was making really improved the characters and sort of set up their arcs and set up stuff that's going to happen later in the movie better without actually structurally... Like, structurally, they did not affect the movie at all. I inserted them 
into other pages that I'd already written, and they they went in just fine. Still fit, yeah. So I, I never talked about what my glib editing rules are, and I just thought of them just now. Nice. Um, it, it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the first draft, right? Yeah. Little scenes. I, I find that I get really preoccupied with. Some people call it word Tetris. Some people call it finger fucking, where you just kind of go back to old scenes and just like take a line out here and yeah. there, or make something a little shorter so it fits on but two lines instead of three. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. That's a natural reaction because it's easier. Yeah, and I try, I try to force myself not to do that because I really want to do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's my first rule. My second rule is what we talked about at the end of last week: can't can't do nothing with broken bones. Yeah. yeah. If if the structure of your screenplay is in such a way, or the, uh, the structure of anything, your story, whatever, is in such a way that you can't continue and have it make sense. Yeah. Then you got to go back because right. otherwise. Like, I'm, I'm still missing that scene we talked about. Uh, I didn't go back and write it. I want to eventually, but for now, I'm like, will the story make logical sense? Like, will people right. not be deeply confused by it? And if so, then then it passes. Yeah. Right. Uh, the first two scenes that I wrote where they're, like, floating in that weird black void area, all of the dialogue is trash in that. I, I don't like any of it. And I really, really want to go back and make it better. But, A... The story still completely works with that trash dialogue. And B, like six or ten weeks of time of not reading those scenes is only going to make me more qualified to edit. Yeah, like, yeah. There's, that, that too. Yeah. Is that, is that you, you by, by editing as little as possible, because we've all come to the conclusion that, you know, it's, it's impossible to not edit. It's, not impo- it's impossible to not go back at least a little. Uh, was there anything that we, we sort of were, were getting into into my pages for this week a little bit? Um, I got two questions. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so the first question is, um, where do you think you can heighten from here? Because it, it gets off. I mean, it, gets it could be like hyphy. yeah, it gets pretty hyphy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, on the on the the roller coaster ride, it, it it starts here in the middle, and then it goes way up, and then way down. And I want to see like. Is there going to be a moment of calm? I, I assume there will be moments of calm, and then it'll come back up and down. Right. Yeah. But in most movies that I see, like y- you don't have the absolute craziest thing until the last twenty minutes. Right. right. I, I'm just curious to see like what you've thought of. My hope for the 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 climax is that the sort of bigness of it will be that feeling of like, oh shit, like that's sort of all of the little things that have been all these little breadcrumbs that have been left throughout yeah. the whole movie kind of coming together in this, like, all of these little lines of dialogue that the character said, like, come back. They sort of revisit all the locations in a, in a way that sort of casts any light on. That's what that's the sort of thing I'm hoping okay. to do. It's a kind of a feeling of the puzzle having been solved. What, how close do you think you are to the midpoint? Oh, yeah. Um, do you think you're already there? Do you think it's coming soon? Or do you think that it's earlier in the 25? I, I think, I think the, the, we're, I think we're, we're, it's like right at the end of the 25. I think when they get to the, the manor is what I would call the midpoint. What we have here is, uh, the, the last page that I have is uh, they're in the tunnel. Right. Are they about to go into the manor? That's the next thing. So that's, yeah. that's the midpoint is when they have the false thing. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so we're very close to it. I, I am always worried in, in my writing of uh, like, 
you said you weren't worried about page count, and that's great. Uh, I'm deeply worried about page count yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, uh, I, I should say I have given myself permission to not be worried yeah. about page count because I feel like... Just do it. I don't feel like my writing is getting better. Don't get me wrong. I am deeply worried about page count. <laughs> my scenes have been averaging like three pages in length, and hmm. I have... My act two and three are 44 scenes long. I haven't... Total? Total. Those two combined are 44 scenes, and I haven't outlined (laughs) act one yet. It's a lot of scenes. Um, I may very, very well have to make big cuts later on, but I just don't feel like I have enough pizza dough in front of me right now in order to figure out what needs to go and what needs to stay. So, And I feel like cutting down is going to be easier than rewriting everything because yeah. I didn't get it good enough the first time. Yeah. yeah but 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 your head fair. is right where mine is. <laughs> oh, <buckaroo. laughs> it's it yeah. is looking very long right now. Huh. Yeah. Uh Evan, you, you had something to say about Climax. Eight. The Usher album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, my big note was that as I was reading this and as as I read whenever I read your pages, I look at it as we're starting on page thirty. Right. And, and because of that, I was like, okay, 30 to 55. And in traditional, it's like 55 pages is your midpoint, it's your climax. So I saw, when I was reading, I was looking for that. Mm-hmm. And it was super dope that it was just like building up, building up, building up. And, and it seems like the, your climax is when she gets swept away. Um, at least as it stands. Like I was looking for the closest thing towards the end. Like that, That's kind of the big thing. It's like the, she gets swept away, she might be dead. You know? Right. So it's pretty cool. Oh, good. Um, oh I love this note. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like that because it, it functions in that way, too. But it's, it's interesting to... I, I'm excited to see where it goes from here, no matter the page length. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm in it to win it, just because I think you're, you're about to go into the stalker section, and I am 100% on board with that. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm... I'm, I'm very proud of the outline I wrote for the section in the mansion. It was super, super hard. I worked really hard on it. I That may very well end up being the section that ends up needing to get trimmed down because yeah. it is, it's like 12 scenes oh, is inside the mansion, but we'll, we'll see. We'll oh. just have to, you know, maybe it's a mini series. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Yeah, no. Um, that's that's the the trap is when you're like, hey, what if Prison Break was a show that was on every season? Yep. You just keep breaking out of different prisons. Yep. That's an idea, right? It's a great idea. <laughs> uh, uh, but I would I would like to congratulate you on doing something that I have always struggled immensely with, which is writing a like a cool, scary, interesting action set piece. Oh, yeah. Which is like super hard. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, when I was reading, I was like, well, how, how did Silas learn how to do this? Um, <laughs> Having fucked up dreams. <laughs> the only one last thing I want to say before we move on. I often, as a, as a writer of science fiction, find myself in a situation where I have a character that needs to deliver a line, which is basically just exposition, but I want it to feel cool and big. Mm-hmm. And the trick I have found is write it in iambic pentameter. And so far, <laughs> really? it has done very well for me. Which line or lines does that? Um, let me see if I can pull it up. Do you have it right here? Yeah, you can use the search function if you want. The things are coming from inside our heads. If you get spooked, there will be even more. 
Oh, it's, man. Uh, I don't know if that's a particularly good line, but it is a lot better than the first thing I wrote, which was just explaining how the sci-fi works. Yeah, um, you yeah. can't do that. I, I did that in my script. That's what you don't want to do. Well, well not, I didn't like fully explain it, but it was just... There's a scene that I'll, I'll want to talk about when we get to uh, to my, my pages. And it's just like, so tell me how the world has been functioning for the last... Mm. Oh, really? Great. Well, here's how my world's been functioning for the last five years. It did not bother me, but... Uh, Pew, why don't, we, why don't we move on to your thing? We've uh, because I have one last thing, and that was... Um... <laughs> Is that a hiccup or a gasp? It's a gasp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess it, actually fuck it it doesn't matter you're not going back and changing the dialogue yet so I will just throw it talk, talk, to, me, talk to me in 10 weeks I will talk to you I, I was sitting here and I was like oh wait he's not gonna want to hear it he doesn't need this right now he doesn't need to clutter his head with it so we'll just fucking skip it my idea is going well awesome yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it really took off finally I think it shows in the, in the changes that I made to the first eight pages that you guys saw uh, I was thinking of changing the title to Perspectives. Hmm. Just because as I was as I was flat flapping trying to write, that's kind of what came up as the word on the PowerPoint that the professor does. Mm-hmm. When I wrote that out, I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to have as like just the title. Yeah. So I'm sitting on that. Give me give me thumbs, stars, or numbers. Uh, 69. Yeah. <laughs> 69 also. Yeah. yeah I mean, 269. Uh, pair of 69s. What, what does that come out to? Uh, it's, it's averages to a 69. Yeah, it's, what does it come out to? <laughs> An orgy. Yeah. It's not snake eyes, but it's snake something. <laughs> I would... Uh, snake cyclops. I, I would say that the the very first title you came to us with was my... I, I didn't care for it, and I told you at the time. The title that you had been working off of until... Uh, right now, apparently, was still time, which yeah. I think is very interesting I'm a, because yeah. I, it, there's a lot of ways that you could take it, and it's, it cuts to the core of the story. Mm-hmm. I think I would say, in my opinion, at this early stage, having read only 20 pages of it, I like still time more than perspectives. Okay. Unless you do like the face-off thing where it's like per slash perspective, <laughs> then I'm extremely into. It. <laughs> well, I was just thinking like perspectives. It makes me think it's either Rashomon. It makes me think it's Mumblecore Rashomon, basically. <laughs> you know, which yeah. I, sounds. I'm not trying to be harsh here. I no, just, no, 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 like, no. That, that wasn't a that wasn't a ne- that wasn't a negative noise from me. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. I agree. What I like about yeah. Still Time is that it's very, very easy to remember. It's not mm-hmm. like Broken Flowers or something where you're like the movie with Bill Murray that I can't ever <laughs> remember the name. Not but, Lost in Translation. The other one that came out around the same time. What was it called? Right. <laughs> it's it's very easy to remember and it sticks in the head, but. Immediately when I hear it, I think of two things. The mm-hmm. first is time standing still, yeah, which is a big thing in the movie, and the other is there is still time. Yeah. It's not too late, and those are very contradictory ideas, yeah. and both are themes in the movie. So I'm a I'm a pretty big cheerleader okay. for still time. I thought still time was only okay, but now give yourself that... some credit. Yeah, writer, <laughs> he's patting himself on the back. Um, <laughs> um, okay, then I'll, then I'll. I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll, I'll let perspectives sit in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. You can do right. still time colon perspectives. Still time slash perspectives. <laughs> so you, we should call it still time three colon perspectives. <laughs> a fast and furious film. <laughs> or, or, or throw a comma in there and be like, still time perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> Exclamation point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, the two thoughts that I have for you, and I, yeah. I'm curious to hear 
how this uh, lines up with your intention for these pages. Yeah. Holy shit, Jordan is an asshole. <laughs> well, he wears a fedora and like a duster, right? Yeah. What a piece of shit. Yeah. But it acts worse. Yeah. Oh my god, this is the fucking worst. He's so bad. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that's that's some hot energy. <laughs> and I think you've given yourself a really interesting challenge, which is, you know, they, what's, what did Anton Chekhov say? If you have a douchebag in Act 1, he has to <laughs> go off in Act 3. Yeah. Uh, you've introduced at the very, very beginning of the movie this guy who is the worst human being on planet Earth. He's, he's just so awful. And in, in a very vivid, relatable way, yeah. like, I think he's an amazing antagonist. Because <laughs> yeah. um, we've all known a Jordan. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's white hot. It's the, Jordan, <laughs> the Jordan energy. So you've, you've, you've set yourself up with a really interesting challenge because like that, I mean, that is a powerful expectation. And I feel like you can... Either, you really have two options. You can either subvert that in an interesting way throughout the movie. You can sort of... And, and that could be like, she isn't an asshole. Or like, he is an asshole, but not how you think. Or he's grown out of being an asshole. Exactly. Like, now he's... Right. Like, there's, there's a lot of really, really interesting play space there. Or the other thing that you could do is have him like fall into like hel- helicopter blades that are moving. <laughs> <laughs> and not change at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it just it's an interesting thing. Like it, it. it I, I think that I think that's like a that's a cool energy to yeah. fire off the movie with, especially knowing that he's going to be in the movie for right. the whole time. Because because his arc is really the evolution of an asshole. Right. You know where where he changes. Sure. Into a cloaca. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm the worst. He he goes from to, to turns into Goatsy by the end of the movie. Um, oh no. <laughs> The highest evolved Pokemon <laughs> in, the, in the asshole type. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically that he changes throughout the film, but he still sucks. Right. You know, because yeah. some people change all their lives and still are shitty people. Yeah. And and I and it's, I mean, I think there's like almost like a fun mystery thing that you could do where it's like, we meet him at the beginning of the movie, fucking sucks. And then we meet him five years later and like, it seems like maybe he's okay, but like I, I sort of assume that Steve's gonna have this interesting contradiction and this interesting uh, conflict where he's like, I really, really want Jordan to fail for a lot of personal reasons. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there's no way he isn't still an asshole. That was only five years ago. Yeah, but like, if yeah. we cut to him five years later and he's like, seems okay. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. There's there's a lot of fun stuff. Yeah, you yeah, do. yeah. Well, it's like he. It sets up interest in the character in the sense that you're never sure if he's ever completely telling the truth. Right. And and, and yeah. it's, you know, there's that, there's that, I'm looking at There Will Be Blood poster. There's that quote that, like, you know, There Will Be Blood is a, I think it's a Tarantino quote, but, like, There, there Will Be Blood is a movie where we spend the entire movie seeing uh, Daniel Plainview do progressively worse and worse things. Yeah. So they took 45 minutes at the beginning of the movie to show you him doing something so impressive that you have you you bought him as a character, yeah. and so he can yeah. get away with doing all that stuff. I felt almost feel like you have the reverse, where Jordan is such a douchebag at the beginning of this movie that you could spend the whole movie showing him doing 
things that are basically fine, and we would still be like, yeah, <laughs> but I remember some of that dialogue, like, yeah. like, and that's that's cool. Like you you have yeah. you've set yourself up with a cool a cool toy to play with. The way I sort of anticipated Jordan going from from here on is like, you know that guy in college that you're friends with in college or in high school or whatever that you're like oh he's a piece of shit but he's always cool to me you know and well he's not always cool to me but you know I don't have many friends right now so he's the one that I'm hanging out with one time he laughed really hard at my joke and that has stayed (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just did that to you and uh, I'm that guy now Um, (laughs) no and uh, so there's always like someone like that who when you're immature you don't realize just how much of a piece of shit they are and then you get a little older and then you're like, oh, I need to actually cut this person out of my life. Yeah. And I, I thought it was part of Steve and George's relationship would be them arcing in that way where Steve is like, you know, he was mean to me in college too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't changed, yeah. you know. Uh, and then just two other things real quick that are all along this line. I would caution you against the whole pitiable nice guy stereotype for Mm. Steve. I don't think it's there right now. Yeah. But I think that if someone didn't know where the story was going and just read the first 15 pages or something, they would be like, oh, this is going to be a whole... You know, a cute girl goes for the asshole and the poor nice guy gets stranded on the roadside for no reason. And then he wins her back just by being nice. You know, Uh, which is... I don't think where your story is going, but it's a common enough fantasy, especially among like creative writer types that are like very insular and they don't, you know, get out much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like, I'm going to write a movie about the girl in college who rejected me. And what if uh, if she didn't go out that guy and she would date me now? Right. You know, and again, I know you, I know that's not where you're going. Uh, And then the last thing, very strangely, I remember reading a Roger Ebert review of, yeah, gasp, of uh, the movie Orgasmo, which was a very early Trey Parker and Matt yeah, Stone yeah. project. Really interested in seeing it as a 13, 14 year old. Yeah. Know. It had a powerful or- title. <laughs> with a Z, Orgasmo with a Z. Where he talks about there's a scene where uh, they're, the, uh, the, the bad boys, whoever they are, are like swearing up a storm and then they meet a very sweet old cute granny yeah and then Ebert wrote something like and I just wanted in this scene for anything else to happen other than for her to be a foul mouth rapping granny and I always think of that where it's like that's the it's the first thought for anyone who's seen uh, this tone of movie you know Mm -hmm. to be like oh yeah you see a grandmother and she's extra sweet and cute She's going to start swearing and, like, talking about pussy in a second. Yeah. You know? I always think of that granny when I'm trying to write a character. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, or trying to write a comedy moment. And, and, and that's something, that too, that I've always struggled with is uh, just the, the vernacular of every character and how it's it's all a little savory. How do you make the grannies not talk about pussy? <laughs> depends. I know. Uh, they talk about depends instead. So it's a shit thing instead <laughs> yeah. of a pussy thing. Right, right, that's right. That's what it right. is. Yeah, that's actually really good. I'm, I'm, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I have been sweating, weeping, bleeding a lot over which characters cuss. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, because it, to me, it feels like a very natural way that people talk, uh-huh. but it also so quickly can make characters sound like each other right. if they all 
Say the same words constantly. Right. Basically. Yeah. yeah, that's what it boils down to. I I instinctively want all of my characters to cuss because uh, I have a very difficult time speaking without cussing myself. It's mm-hmm. a, just a very, very natural part of the rhythm of how I speak. I've given myself permission to only let one and a half characters cuss in this in this movie. Nice. Because I'm like, otherwise they'll just end up all feeling the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One person's got to say the 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 say the say fuck. They have to say the fuck word. They one have to say fuck. Must. One person has to say fuck at least somewhere in that movie, so yeah. that it, it feels more like a '90s blockbuster. <laughs> right. So, just the reason I brought up the whole granny thing is not just to talk about cussing and all that and unexpected dialogue, but yeah, I'm talking about expectations. Okay. So when you see a guy walk in with a fedora and a leather jacket or a trench coat or whatever he was wearing, I don't remember exactly, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be a total piece of shit. And then he is a total piece of shit. Yeah. Or even you think it's either it's either the one thing or the exact opposite, right. where he's going to be super nice and you wouldn't expect it because he's dressed a certain way or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I would recommend to everyone who writes, uh, not just you guys, but anyone who listens to this, uh, so my mom... Uh, to, be, uh, to be like, oh, what's what's the thing they they could do that isn't the expected or expected unexpected thing, right? You know, and I feel like in in this very early version, we all have issues with that. That's a good note. That, that no matter what you're writing or where you're at in the script, it is always a good idea to be looking for ways to subvert expectations. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, that that just is is an automatic way to make your writing stronger is if you do that because it's a surprise and it re-engages the audience you know yeah it's a it's a turn it's a little it's a little beat inside of the beat last thing i wanted to to mention about uh jugo pages is uh we got with the you got the five-year jump yeah i've been kind of waiting for that for the the time that you have before that five-year jump it's this very collegey vibe we smoke weed we're cussing (laughs) we're talking about women in very objectifying way all the mainstays of college life. <laughs> we get that five-year jump, and the energy changes so palpably. It gets so sad so quickly, and I'm very into it. <laughs> um, that, like, like when, it, when we... Because, you know, I was reading through it, and it was like, God, okay, we're in college. We got that energy. I can hear the music that's playing. I can picture what the extras look like. I can picture, like, the house that we're going to shoot it in. And then we got to that him working at the brewery and like it like just instantly it was like, man, this is a different movie all of a sudden. And I, yeah. I feel like that's exactly what you want for a five year job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it 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 I suddenly felt very, very differently engaged cool. in that part. And uh, okay. that, that's yeah. that's that's a good note. I'm glad it worked for at least one person in this room. It worked right. for me. Yeah. You like the, the job? Yeah. Because like the five years between your second to last semester of college and whatever happens five years after that. Yeah. Like our night and day for yeah. most people. It is that, a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. That, like, that's yeah. kind of the thing that I wanted to happen was that for those first like 14, 15 minutes, I do that subverted expectations thing where people sit, sit down and start watching. And they're like, Oh, I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. And then five years pass. And they're like, Oh, I haven't. <laughs> you know, we've seen the house party, the smoking weed, yeah. the, all of that. And then just to, I mean, like, we're not even into that. But you haven't seen a ping pong game and a weed jungle. Oh, shit. (laughs) Uh, Like, not even out of Act 1, and suddenly it's like, boom, meds, 
therapy. I don't like my job. I don't like, like, it's just, it's the, the he's s- looking for a new place. He's, yeah. Sh- yeah, exactly. He's just sobbing while hiking. Yeah. yeah. Jesus fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was powerful how much, how sad it got so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's definitely what you were going for. And, uh, it, I, I, I think that could be a really powerful, I think there's a lot of, you could be a lot of, like, like when I read it, I was like, oh, there's like a lot of fun ways you could shoot this with like how jarring can we make this jump how off the beat can we cut on the music where it into like the silence of like looking at an apartment and there's three landlords and yeah yeah that actually that whole little sequence came to me as i was listening back on the other podcast episodes where it's like oh he's looking for a place like that little arc mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's, he's looking for a place to live at first and like I, I thought it'd be cool to have show that by having him go through a bunch of different apartments doing different things um, and then walking back to his car and matching that to the hype just to kind of give it a, a different feel, you know, that, that all of a sudden, you know, if you go from being in college to five years later, you're just in transit. What about Rebecca so far? So far, so we've, we've the, the two big tastes of Rebecca that we have are her at the alumni thing and then her in the job interview. Yeah. I I haven't gotten a super strong like if, if I had to describe in, in a few words like who is Rebecca what what's her energy like I think I would have a hard time doing that she's definitely a little bit of a mystery to me still okay. she feels like a real person like she doesn't feel inauthentic at all but she feels like the energy that I get off of her is that she's like unrefined or undefined that she like doesn't want me to know that much about her yet is the energy that I got oh, I from reading that dialogue. It felt very um, closed off, or very closed off. And if that is your intention, then I, I think it's working. Okay, but you could probably take it further. Yeah. And if you have a very very clear idea of a list of adjectives that would describe her, that would not describe any other character in the movie. Yeah. As of this moment, I don't feel like they have been revealed to me. Gotcha. I think that my issue with Rebecca is similar, but I would say also, like, the, the two times people ask her what she wants, she's like, oh, I don't know, just some job, whatever. And I'm like, no, we, we got to know what she wants. We got to know exactly, even if she's not sharing it with this person, mm-hmm. I don't have a sense of, you know, the Kurt Vonnegut rule is give every character something to want, yeah, even yeah, if yeah. it's as simple as a glass of water. Yeah. is Her passion seems to be art, but, like... Where does she? What's on her vision board, basically? You know, like what does she wake up and go? Like, am I getting closer to having a gallery show or having my own whatever line or something? It just giving us that motivation for her is going to make the character seem deeper and also give the actor more to work with. You know, if if someone reads the script and they're like, oh, I really want to play Rebecca. People like reading scripts where they're like, I could play that. You know, and. I I, th- I think I think it's a valuable note. I, yeah, I, I like I, it. I feel like if yeah yeah if the purpose of that scene is to give us that information, I definitely didn't get it from that. Yeah, and I and I don't I haven't read your yeah, yeah, cards. Yeah. I don't know what's coming in the next couple scenes, but neither do I. Oh, there you go. It would be interesting to see a, a conversation where someone's like, "What do you want?" She's like, "I don't know." 
And then, like, she goes home and she's, like, just, like, writing the word honey-baked ham and then with her last name. And then, like, writing hearts around it. And it's like, oh, damn, she wants that honey-baked ham. She couldn't say that in a job interview. She'd get fired. She wanted, why does she want to get married to honey-baked ham so bad? I don't know. We have three, two more acts to learn. So, uh, uh, what if, yeah, she just writes down with hearts, Rebecca baked them. <laughs> I want to marry Honey Baked Ham and be Rebecca Baked Ham. Like that could be a choice in and of itself. Is like yeah. intentionally well, withholding that, mo- you know. And I, then yeah, I think I think that's a good idea and a good note because that that's a way to have them not t- show it instead of telling. Right, and, and it's it's a strong way to do that. And also, just in general, Honey Baked Ham is very underrepresented <laughs> in media. <laughs> <laughs> another that I is what, that's what Evan should take from that now yeah. oh wait really <laughs> sure because it feels like very strong characterization I, 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 I must admit I'm an heir to the spiral cut ham fortune <laughs> <laughs> golly okay yeah so we, did, was there any other questions that you had or any just even just like an interesting we we, yeah. we touched on the dialogue a little bit outside of still being a little one-note samba, how is it? There's one scene that doesn't work for me, and the rest feels... Cool. feels like what people would talk like and do. The scene oh. that doesn't work for me is when uh, Steve and Jordan are having their little pillow fight. Uh, because It's not actually a pillow fight, but yeah. uh, when Steve and Jordan get together after the party, uh-huh. and they're, uh, Jordan's crashing on his floor, I felt like... I didn't really like Steve in that moment. You're not supposed to. You're not. You're supposed to align with him, even if you don't like him, right? Yeah. Because he's your main character, more or less. And uh, we realize he has flaws. But to me, it's like this. Just in that one scene, not in any other scenes yeah. that he's in. It's like I don't care what happens to this guy because I don't like him, you know. Uh-huh. And it's it, it's in a way where it's not like. Um, to me, it isn't like, oh, this guy is immature and has stuff to learn and will improve later. It's like this guy in this one scene is saying stuff that is just kind of fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think that's exactly what you're going for. I, I, I got definitely the sense that you didn't want us to pull for him like, you know, like he's John McClane or something. But uh, I, I, I didn't think that it landed quite the way you wanted it to. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I also think that's the sort of thing that, like, that's what you would change in, in a second draft. Right. Like, But I just want yeah. to know how it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally. sounds okay. Uh, it definitely sounds okay. It sounds very, very natural. I, I got the, the same feeling from that scene as you did. Yeah. Um, and the, his, we talked about how, like, for lack of a better term, a save the cat moment where we have an alignment with him. The closest thing he gets to uh, a let's align with his worldview is he calls Jordan a dickhole, which uh, is fine. <laughs> and he says, I need this after all of Abby's shit. Yeah. Which is different from saying, I really like her. It's just like, it makes him sound like he's just like, I'm a pussy monster. I need, I need pussy right now. <laughs> you know? Well, in, in front of Jordan, it's like, how, that's how he, he overcompensates. Right. Know? Especially yeah. in front of someone who's like, I, look at the pussy I pull down. Yeah. It, it would be interesting if, if, I mean, I think a very... And also, they're yeah. both very drunk right now. Right. Well, that's, I, that's actually where I was about to counter what you were saying. Because yeah. they're so drunk that, like, I think 
in Vino Veritas, you know, yeah. like he would be, he, it would be harder for him to conceal how much he likes Rebecca, yeah, uh, in this moment, and and like play up the masculine thing, you yeah, know? right. And it would it would be interesting. I think a, a very marketable save the cat moment could be us visibly seeing him being made uncomfortable by Jordan, yeah, because I think most of us could relate to. Jordan making us uncomfortable. We've all known someone just like that. Yeah. And if he's like, listen, you know how much pussy I get? One woman, ten women? I don't know. And if we saw Steve be like, <sighs> like, <laughs> that's a save the cat moment. If we just see yeah. him go like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you are a drain! Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Or, or even if there was just like a reaction shot of like Jordan says something and we just see him like look uncertain and uncomfortable and okay. struggle to think of something to say next and like you know is yeah. 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 Okay. Even if he is a trying really, really hard to win Jordan's approval. Yeah. I think you know what's probably feels in his heart is that he's pretty uncomfortable and I think yeah. he would relate to that a lot. I found a line. I accidentally crossed it a little. Just, just go back. It happens in writing, you know. It's not yeah, that's cool. That's, that's good to know what the line fear. is, though. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it's it's the same thing I was talking about with my stuff. Like, I so badly want to go back and change a bunch of dialogue, and it's like go back and make them all say fuck. Exactly. I want them all. I want them all to cuss. <laughs> what kind of dream world is this if we can't cuss? Yeah. But you know, that's that's draft two stuff. Right. Like, yeah. it's so easy to fix. Yeah. It's so much clearer what the problems are the more space you have. So, like, cool. those are tweaks, not, not like, edits. Yeah. Peter. Oh, Peter. boy. Uh, so, yeah. before we uh, we uh, started recording, I, I talked about how I had one specific problem that I am encountering right now. And that is, it's like a, it's like a swing dance, where in swing, it's slow, slow, quick, quick. And that's the rhythm, you know? There's two scenes in this that are like three and a half pages of just conversation. The second one in particular, the one that is the last scene, Mm -hmm. uh, I worry is like highly expositional. So did you guys get that? If so, how? If not, how did it come across to you? You're talking about the Panda Express scene. The Panda Express scene and then the scene with uh, Hector, where Greg and Hector just talk for a while about symbiotes. And uh, it's it's the, the debate moment where it's right. like, am I going to see her again? I found someone who is human. And uh, Hector's like, oh, uh, sure you did. Whatever, buddy. Anyway, here's a therapist card. Right. <laughs> you know? uh, I needed that scene to set up a couple things that happened later. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of poured every setup moment into that one scene. And I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> well, let's start with the Hector scene. Sure. The quickest answer I have for your question is when I read it in Wisconsin Garden this afternoon on my phone, it did not feel weird. I mean, I guess the question is, like, what is the natural rhythm of when this scene wants to end? And do you exceed that? And is there a better way to get some of this information across? The scene I just checked, it it comes out to almost exactly three pages. And that's after I cut stuff out of it. Right. So I feel like the scene kind of carries a lot of weight, Mm -hmm. you know, not like emotionally, but like it, it pulls the weight of the story because there's... They, you know, they talk about you show your hero at work, at play, and at home. And basically the scene is him doing all of the things that he would do in those other places just at work. Right. So, yeah. What, what, Evan, you got anything on this? On the Hector scene? Yeah. It works. Why, are, why can't you get a warm 
when you're a kid? I think, you know, I've gone back and forth on this. A part of me thinks that it's just the kids' brains aren't developed enough. Uh-huh. And then it's like around the time of like puberty or 10 or 11 or something that yeah. they can get the warmth. Because I, I think the scene is, is balanced enough that you could throw it in there too. Like throw in some sort of mention of like Hector says something about like kids can't do it. So they have therapists, you know, you like. It's, it's at the end actually. But, but why? Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't care why. <laughs> I, I mean, there's 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 the scene where he's in the mall and she's like, okay, where's the child who needs to get the symbiote? And it's like, oh, actually, it's me. I think that's all the exposition you need for that particular plot device. There's so much shit adults can do that kids can't. It didn't. Yeah. I wasn't like, oh, but why? That works. And and also just the situation of asking something for yourself that is intended for children is an embarrassing situation. I think a lot of people can relate to. So yeah. it, it doesn't feel like a a weird sci-fi contrivance. It's like buying a fucking lollipop. Yeah. It's like, it's actually, it's actually for me. I just, <laughs> I, I pictured specifically the chair that he sits down in to get his little warm would be like a, like a dentist chair, but like bright yellow and plastic with like giraffe stickers on it. Oh yeah, totally. That kind of shit. I think that, you know, the, the risk of a scene that is of this length with this much exposition is that it gets boring. I think the, the biggest tool that you have against that is it being funny. The joke that sells this scene the most for me is when he's when when he hands him the therapist card and he's like, "Why do you need a therapist?" He's like, "Oh, it's for my kids." <laughs> I I thought that that got an audible laugh out of me. Oh, thank I you. think that's a great joke. The fact that they're sort of in this one location could potentially slow things down a little bit. And so, okay, there's there's an amazing scene in Othello. Iago is talking to Othello and he just plants the seed of doubt about Desdemona, and it's this fucking amazing scene. And it, and there is an adaptation of Othello which has. Uh, like Kenneth Branagh in it as Iago, mm-hmm. and they do the most fucked up thing. They cut it in a way so it looks like it's taking weeks, where like they're sitting at a... I think I've seen this version of it. Yeah, they're yeah. sitting at like a kitchen table, and he's like, you know, I, I saw Desdemona eating a hot dog kind of weird one time. <laughs> and then it just cuts, and they're like fishing in a boat, and he's like, tell me more about that hot dog thing you said. And, it's like, and then it just keep, they keep jumping around to different locations. It's, it's really annoying because the whole point of the scene is that sort of this is all it takes to get the ball rolling and it undermines that point in my opinion i kind of feel like you could do the opposite here because the point as i see it the point of this scene is that greg is looking for validation and not finding it emotionally that's what's happening here and i think it could be really funny if it was like juice warehouse break room he's drinking the gross shake and he's like, you know, can I can I share something with you? Like, yeah, sure. I found another person. We're all people. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, but I found someone without a symbiote. Okay, sure you did. And he just leaves. <laughs> Cut. Hector's desk. He's, he follows him. Yeah, yeah he desk. follows. He still has the gross shake. And he's like, hey, what did you mean back there? Like, oh, well, uh, I just meant that, like, so, okay, I get it. You hate all of us. And so, and so then, like, if you, if you broke up the scene in that yeah. way, where it's, like, Hector kind of chasing this guy around throughout his day, and he keeps, he keeps coming in, like, now, wait a minute here, Sonny, <laughs> and he just keeps losing, and then he's, like, it's, like, 20 minutes later, he thought of the right comeback, yeah. and then he comes after him. That is a, a potential way you could that's, break That's it up very up. Will Forte, too, which yeah. I think is kind of funny, because Will Forte has a lot of, like, he'll, he'll walk out of the scene, and then he'll come back, and you're, like, uh, you, hold, hold on a second. We were going to say this, and then we said this instead. I just want to clear things up. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that is a way that you could in this. This definitely wouldn't work in the Panda Express scene because it's yeah. it's very different. But but since the dynamic is Greg 
trying to connect with one of these symbiotes and once again not being able to do it. Yeah, it, might almost, it almost would be funny to like see one of the, if, if you go with this little montage of vignettes thing, you could do like just one where Steve walks up to him like about to say something and he, he hears him say that and, just, and then you just cut. I just walks away. He's like, nope. This this might not, this might undercut the, the sci-fi that you're trying to tell with this, but what if it was like, Jen, like, hey, buddy, do you want to have intercourse later? Can my wife come? Sure. High five, they leave. And Greg's like, I'll oh, never get over it. you guys about sex stuff. Cut. Greg is sitting at his desk. Hector comes back with like hair that's all fucked up. And he's like, hey, by the way, pal, just so you know, to all of us, you're the one. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's funny. Uh, that, it's a, it's a thing to, to try and let's so, let's look down at the Pan Express. Yeah, that's that's the beast. Because yeah. so I originally was thinking that I was just going to end like the, the break into two was going to be when they agree to go to a neutral location. Right. Uh, after she finds Greg and Greg is naked and he's he's like grabbing his junk and handing her jerky at the same time, which I think yeah. is a funny image. And then it's like, no, the real break into two is when they agree to repopulate the Earth. Right. Yeah. And so I just wrote this scene with like that sets up all the rules between them and what their relationship is. And uh, let's see how long it is. And also it does some exposition for there's a, a character in uh, European screenwriting yeah. called a Sprechhund, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is the dog that someone explains stuff to. It's like uh, the Sprechhund is like the one who's like. But what? <laughs> All the time. And Sammy is that in this. And it turns out that the Panda Express scene is it's, it's four, four and, and a half pages. Yeah. Four and four and two fifths of a page. Yeah. I mean for me it works and it functions and it didn't come off as being too long or anything. Like it felt necessary. But it definitely does feel like just two people sitting there talking. You know, like it it's and, and you really only have one thing in there to break it up where he chokes and does that whole thing. Yeah. And then they just like sit back and go back to continue talking. So I know yeah. it, it, it works and it functions, but it could definitely be spiced up. And like I, I, you could have someone come by later and be like, "Hey, buddy, how you doing? Just want to make sure you're not choking again." <laughs> yeah, like you could have. I could have uh, another character just walk in and be like, "Oh, hey, Greg, I know you from work. Who's this you're with? I don't care. Anyway, <laughs> and they just leave. And then he's like, "See what I mean?" Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, one thing which I did think was going to happen, if after he chokes, everyone's like, you okay, Greg? Like, just everyone at the Panda Express knows him by name. And it's, and it's just, he's Greg Nygaard. He's like a celebrity. He's the yeah. only human that they know of. So what I, what I imagine is that, like, his name and existence are known, but maybe his face isn't exactly. Right. Which is, like, when he goes to the, the mall kiosk uh, where Erica, uh, like, tries to put the warmant in. She doesn't recognize him, and then he's like, it's for me. And then she goes, you're Greg Knight. I've heard so much about you. I really, really liked that. Because it's it's so humiliating in this weird way. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And then he asks also, like, is it going to cost anything? And she's like, for you? No. Yeah. <laughs> we know you don't have it. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so things that you have going for you in this scene for it not getting boring and feeling static. You have this line of dialogue right near the beginning where he says, not just in L.A., but, like, everywhere. That's a big, juicy line. And what's cool about that line is that's that's one of the first moments that you have in the story so far, which is genuinely, like, disturbing and unsettling. Mm-hmm. You've always, con- you very, very consistently managed to make the situation funny. That felt genuinely very ominous to me. Like, yeah. oh, God, 
like there's a tribe in the Amazon there or something, and they're the only ones who don't but, have this. Yeah, the and, aliens have one. And so you know, he he has he has that bit at the end where he's like, I mean, maybe some pockets in the Appalachians or Mongolia or something. But and 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 that definitely is in his character to be sort of rambling and not particularly well informed. It, if you wanted, you could go full ominous in that moment and just have it be like, no, you don't get it. We are all that there is. Maybe, just as a, as a possibility. So I'm just kind of thinking about, okay, so, so there's this first kind of beat, which is she realizes the severity of the situation. Yeah. And then, then there's the exposition of her saying, like, here's where I, here, here's, here's why you don't know who I am. Right, right. Here's what I've been doing. The audience doesn't really know this either, so the information had to get across verbally at some point. Well, the audience right. does know. The audience knows that she was in a bunker, but they don't know why. Oh, yeah, yeah you're right. Have her talk to herself or do it in voiceover. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> she does talk to herself a little bit. Yeah, she talks to the plants. I really enjoyed yeah. her talking to the plants. I liked that. Yeah, I could I could see that very well. And the fact and the fact that instead of like writing some kind of action scene. You just wrote the word plants. <laughs> I like that little touch. Shot yeah. of plants. The, I think the trouble section is page 23. And I think the problem that you have here is it's a lot of, I mean, it's it's a lot of very big, chunky lines of dialogue that basically don't have any jokes in them. Yeah. The same thing to a lesser extent goes for sort of Greg's two first chunky lines at the very, very beginning on page 21. Okay. Again, there's there's really no jokes in there. It's the beginning of the scene. We're in a new location, and you've got that big line coming up, so I'm not as worried about those. But on, on page 23, from I've been living in an underground bunker for five years all the way down to such as. Yeah. There's really, That's all exposition. There's really no jokes. Yeah. And I think that... I'm trying to think what's what's sort of an interesting dynamic that you could could maybe be funny or because because them talking about the fact that like really the only logical end to this is them having sex that writes itself that's great yeah. very interesting conflict so I actually yeah. kind of deliberately didn't make this bit funny because like this is where Greg he, there's even the action line Greg looks at her with compassion yeah because he's realized that she's gone through a lot and now is not the time to joke about it. Gotcha. And he's like, he's, you know, being a good guy for once. And this is like the first time we see him be really good to Sammy is where he's like, I'm just going to listen, ask you, why did you do this and let you get your story out? Because clearly you haven't talked to anyone in a while. And there's, I think there's still, uh, you're right, that there's the opportunity to puncture that with like someone else being funny or something else funny happening. Right. But uh, I do want a little lull of a beat in there somewhere. That, I mean, yeah. th- there's, there's this thing that's interesting in film too that you see all the time and never notice and that's where the conversation starts in one place and ends in another mm-hmm. and then it just like seamlessly fits together that, yeah. that's something you could do too where it's like you don't change anything but where they're sitting you know where it's like just midway through the scene they're they're sitting at a park you know that's <laughs> that's one way to spice it up that that does happen later in the outline yeah like exactly that so this is this is um give it to you bad mm. Okay. Um, what if but good what if but good one thing that occurs to me then because I, I think that that's a, that makes a lot of sense I think it's a, a good goal to have and I even was talking about how like an interesting thing in this scene is that it is, it is a little ominous it's, it's yeah. a little spooky a potentially interesting way to shake this up would be if Sammy gets 
genuinely really freaked out in this scene. It's me, so I immediately go to, like, tears and panic attack and, like, there's a fucking ghoul devouring someone for no reason. Uh, But that's just my mind. You know, like, you have this moment where he gives her this fucking horrendous news. Yeah. And then he says, you want me to prove it? And we we do this big kind of goofy thing. That's definitely a joke. Is everyone running over and, and trying to help him? It would be interesting if, like that hits her way harder than Greg thought it would. And that's actually kind of a fucked up thing to do to her. Like, oh yeah, check it out. Like, our alien overlords swarm in <laughs> and like, like, and and uh, this is, don't do this, but one possibility would be if that happens and he's like, yeah, see what I'm talking about. This is what it's like. And she's like, can we go? Can we yeah. fucking not be in here anymore? And you could even do something where like, they go back to his house because as much as it's masturbation den and she was making fun of it in the last scene, like all of a sudden that's the only place she wants to be because that's the only place she knows there aren't going to be symbiotes. Yeah. And so that's that's a possibility. That might be too... It, it, yeah. I think it rockets the plot forward a little bit in a way that it doesn't... I don't want it to go there yet. Totally. And, and, but and, something and, like yeah. that. And not... Every movie needs to have a trauma scene in it. Um, (laughs) So that might not be right for this. You hear that, Gaspar (laughs) (laughs) No? Three, baby! It's a hat trick! So, so, yeah, you don't necessarily need to do that specifically, but I think that... um, I think that this this page 23 belly of the scene bit should either be spookier or funnier. Yeah. And that would be a way to not have it feel like exposition. Just before we close out here, is there anything else that you feel isn't, like, really stood out to you or isn't working or... No, dude. I just want to encourage you to keep going. Um, oh, thanks, man. You're, 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 doing, you're doing great. Uh, you're, doing, you're doing awesome yeah. work here. Um, um, it's you, What comes out of your ass is so polished, <laughs> as I said last time. You got a couple of vocalized laughs out of me. So uh, one, I'm still I'm still in this scene. One beat, the only line of dialogue that sticks out to me that felt a little bit clunky is I like the you did a rule of threes thing. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I I enjoy that. It felt flirtier than I think Greg would feel comfortable being at this point. Or even downright cape. Uh, uh, to me, it felt too meta. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. is, he, is he aware of comedy enough that he would say that? One possibility would be he does a spit take and the symbiotes rush over to help him again. <laughs> and he's like, you knew that would happen. Like, like that was, that's, sort of, that's an alt version, possibly. And then the other... I really, really like the energy that they have where they land at the end of the scene with like the awkward handshake. Mm-hmm. The Greg can barely mask his excitement. I think that the sort of beat of like guys in sci-fi situation, which means he has to get laid <laughs> is something we've definitely seen before. And, and there's sort of the like Rodney Dangerfield, like homina, homina, <laughs> like yeah. uh, voom, baby. I, I, I feel like it would be funnier and and at least more true to my personal experience if he got like he is definitely excited by the possibility but he's also like instead of like 
go getting pretty flirty if if this just makes him extremely uncomfortable i just was thinking like nervous as shit yeah oh fuck because the scene we had earlier with him where he invites all the the symbiotes to his party and they they come and then they leave right away and he gets all sad Mm -hmm. he's like oh this guy is deeply lonely in a way that you can only be if you're surrounded by people right you know yeah. And I was like, oh, there's another one. I I have I didn't do my hair and oh fuck. <laughs> like Yeah, I'm yeah. butt ass naked. <laughs> yeah. I the the lines like I don't know any other unaffected males feels very sort of nudge nudge mm-hmm. yeah. like oh boy. And uh, it, it made me laugh. The line where he's, where she's like trying not to get an erection at the table and he's like, why not? I might need to use it. I that did make me laugh out loud. Again, I I, I think that it might work a little bit better if He's more visibly uncomfortable. If, 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 if <laughs> he just if, passes out. If, it's, if, it's, if instead the text of the scene was just like, n- like just not even knowing what to say, just like I, I just I, w- I, I, this is going really fast or, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Where where you know yeah, where he's yeah. resistant to it at first too. I think there needs to be a little bit of that. Where he's just like rah, rah, rah. and <laughs> I'm hard, but damn girl <laughs> and. I mean, she clearly doesn't like him, and and yeah. he's, he's not looking to get his dick wet. He's looking for companionship, and she obviously doesn't like him. Yeah, and I don't mean to speak for everybody, but I know that for me, the idea of being forced to have sex with someone who clearly does not like me <laughs> is a, a huge <laughs> bummer, not, not great. and yeah. uh, and uh, uh, one could even say a phobia. <laughs> great. Um, All good stuff, guys. Yeah, I love the beach jerky scene. Yeah, I love the payoff that worked over. Well. Yeah, I, lo- I love the, the the setup with them being like, "You're I've never seen your genitals. It's so weird." And then and she like the fact that he's just alone in the house <laughs> naked, like still no one can see him, but he's just like working up the courage to like I don't know what. Like my, my favorite really bad joke in this script is when she's walking through the streets of L.A. and she like looks in the Seven Eleven instead of. Uh, hot dogs. There's like tofu cakes that are still on the rollers, and that makes sense. And then they take down the sign that says "Fat Burger." Thin burger. <laughs> Put up Thin Burger. Yeah, because uh, um, I was thinking for a while, like, well, well, what would it say instead? Because I thought, like, what's the worst restaurant? Fat, fat burger. burger. Yeah. So I'm like, what's what, what can it say instead? And then I like stared at my screen for five twenty seconds, maybe, and then I'm like, oh, right, Thin Burger. That's the only thing that it could say. Um, I will say that moment is it's. I laughed out loud. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't make... It's it's a very, like, airplane moment. Yeah. It doesn't make sense in the context of the timeline. Like, they would have done that five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still Uh, funny and it still works. You you probably would notice that if just watching it casually. A fridge logic. Fridge logic. Fridge logic. A, an easy fix would be the sign says fat burger and there's like like a piece of like tarp flapping underneath it and then someone like climbs up on the ladder and like repins up. There's they just oh, like, they didn't yeah, change yeah. the sign, they just made a tarp that says thin. <laughs> and with that, uh, yeah. I think we kind of covered everything. I think Sick. we did. Goals for next week. What are what do you guys want to accomplish? Words. Words. I, I don't I'm gonna be wicked busy. Mm-hmm. So um I have the eleventh is really my writing day this coming week, and I'm going to try and get out as much as possible. But my my gonna be only ten pages. Okay, um, which is fine. Are you? So, you're still in Act One, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm almost to the. I'm almost almost to Act Two by page count, but I'm definitely not almost to Act Two in reality. What about you, Peter? Uh, I just want to get like eight to ten pages in. I'm a twenty five right now, and I think that's. I, I've kind of exceeded my goal by a little bit mm-hmm. in the last couple weeks, and if I can just uh, do that. Again, and just get to like thirty three to thirty six. 
yeah. you know, like partway yeah. through fun and games, then I'll be good. I my goal is to finish all of the manor stuff. I I didn't share them with you this week because I it felt weird to give you like half of a sequence. Yeah. I'm about halfway through the manor at this point and I would like to finish it and and sort of have the whole thing as a chunk so I could show it to you guys. Another sub goal is <laughs> Is you got that little engine revving at max volume. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For those for those of you at home, if you hear the the roar of engines, it's it's the the happiest cat beside Mississippi. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the 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 sub goal is I would like to see if I can get the manor section as a whole to be less than twenty pages. We'll see. Don't be scared. Yeah, I can, always, I can always cut it down. Like yeah. That. All right. Cool, boys. Mr. Good, Good work. See you Good soon. Work, everybody.